So a big welcome to um, all of you, and especially if you've just walked in and you're visiting here this morning, uh, I hope we make you feel welcome um, here at the Billabong. It's really great to have you with us on this special um, and important day, um, including those who are watching online ever since this time last year, when we kind of missed Easter for a year almost. Of course, we didn't really miss it, but we were all online at that point. And so ever since then, we've had the privilege of being able to you know, take our celebrations through the video camera into people's lounge rooms and bedrooms and kitchen tables and whatnot. So if anybody's at home online this morning, um, welcome, welcome to you as well. Um, and in fact, I can probably see a few of who they are, see a few people um, from, our, from our own crew who are at home this morning. Um, so yeah, it's Easter Sunday, um, and this is a special day. This is uh, one of the, mo- well, the most important day of the year for us as followers of Jesus. And so we want to start this morning just by, by committing this day to God uh, to ask that he would come and show us and reveal to us once again the significance, the importance, the practical and personal reality of the resurrection in our lives. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us deeply and that as we have journeyed through this weekend, remembering the sacrifice you made for us, that we would be forgiven of sin, that our sin would be nailed to the cross of Christ and that as we rise anew with Christ into the heavenly uh, resurrection one day and with this, uh, in, as people with resurrected lives now. We thank you, God, that you um, have done all of this because you love us, because you want us in your family, because you uh, want us back into the family of God as your adopted children. And so as we reflect on this this morning, thank you that you're faithful to speak to us through the scriptures. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, Come minister to us. Come show us the love of the Father this morning. Amen. Well, Easter's a lot of fun, right? Who doesn't love a four-day weekend uh, with lots of chocolate and whole cross buns? Uh, But, of course, there's so much more to it than that. Um, and, And if a man who claimed to be God really did rise from the dead, what does that mean for you and I? That's the question I've been sort of sitting with in the last uh, couple of weeks as we journey towards this day. And I wonder if you've stopped to think about that recently. Uh, if, okay, if the resurrection is true, so what? What actual difference does it make? Whether you believe uh, that he rose from, the, from death or, or have no interest in even looking into this claim, you say, oh, it's not really me, I'm just... You know, I just come to church on Easter. Uh, You have to admit that the claim that he rose from the dead is important. Uh, Considering that Jesus himself said, I will rise from death before it happened. He himself said this. And so for that reason, the author C.S. Lewis, uh, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, if you're familiar with those, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not just be a great moral teacher. This is what many people think. He, Jesus, would either be a lunatic or else the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, 
You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher alone. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Powerful statement. I guess the question is, did did he really rise and prove he wasn't a lunatic or a liar, but in fact, Lord? Well, I'm not going to go deep into that today, but considering that billions of people worship this man, Jesus, and order their whole lives in a practical and personal way around him, it's either got to be a life-transforming truth, or it's got to be the greatest scam in history by a long shot. You have to admit at least that. Everything hangs on the resurrection. Paul himself, Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, um, and then we're going to read a bit of one of his letters today, he wrote, our faith is futile if Jesus did not rise. It's a pretty bold statement. Everything hangs on the resurrection. But what is really the impact at a personal and practical level? Is it just an amazing miracle or event that we sort of remember, however much we think it might be literally true, Or does it have practical implications for you and I today? I want to read um, this morning, I wouldn't usually do this on Easter, but I want to read quite a big chunk of Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul, as I said, wrote a large part of the New Testament. It was a follower of Jesus. This is from his letter to uh, the church, the people of the church in Rome in the first century, one of the books of the the Bible. And in chapter 5, where we're going to start, uh, Paul has been talking, or he's talking about original sin. Some of you might have heard that term, but basically, we've all got qualities inherited from our parents, right? Some of us would rather not, but um, uh, I mean, I, I inherited my parents' wonderful temperament and deep humility and wisdom, um, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, the writer Paul is basically saying, Adam is our father. Uh, he's like our father. So Adam, the first human being, we inherited from Adam, our father, this this sin nature, right? this nature, this inbuilt uh, normal state where we are selfish. Um, all the way through history, that trait's been passed down through every human being. We're, we're sinful, we're selfish. No one person is completely selfless, humble, perfect for their whole life. We can learn to be selfless and sinless, but we all have sinned at some point. And so with that in mind, here's what Paul writes. He writes this, you know the story, and this should be on the screen for you, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in, first sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. Moses comes a few chapters into the Bible. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses, even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God, still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. That's all of us, you and I. This is uh, one of the basic messages of the Bible. Sin has resulted, basically, in, in, in separation from God. We're made for relationship with Him, and yet we're disconnected from Him because He is a holy God. And so in our sinful state, in our less than perfect or holy state, we can't be with God. We, we must be separated from Him. Um, so... 
Paul goes on and says, But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin, Adam, put crowds of people at the death end, abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. And, and this, of course, is the good news, friends, the, the gospel. Freedom from sin and death or restoration to life with God, the life we were made for, the life we were long for, this is a gift. It's not earned, it's not purchased, it's not granted through various sacrifices or rituals or church attendance. Uh, a gift is what this is. And, and how do you receive a gift? Do you pay for it? Do, do, you, do you give something? No, you, you just accept it. That's what makes it a gift. The verdict, Paul goes on to say, on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on that, the many sins that followed because of Jesus was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands? This wildly extravagant life gift. This grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. So it's about grasping this gift with both hands. So I accept it, God. But what is this gift? And why does it all hang on Jesus rising from the dead? Couldn't God just give the gift, I forgive you, and that's it? Remember, this, this so-called uh, gift of eternal and abundant life is coming from a lunatic if he didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus said, I am going to rise, but he's actually still in the grave, he was deluded, not Lord. Paul goes on and says this, here it is in a nutshell, just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, Adam, another person, Jesus, did it right and got us out of it. But more than getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. How did he do that? Well, firstly, Paul says it's not through rules. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. And so let's pause for a second and reflect on this before we jump into chapter 6. The gift of life, not just the gift of life like when a baby is born, but the gift of eternal life, life forever with God, completely unseparated from Him. This gift is simply received. It, it's got to be grasped with both hands, but not paid for or earned. And it's a gift of grace. The gift is forgiveness mercy and grace it's God saying I'll exchange your sin for my righteousness I'll, I'll forgive you and consider you to be holy like Jesus like my son I'll exchange your sin for my perfection the simplest summary of this then is that we are saved from death to eternal life we are saved by grace through faith God's grace is the offer 
and, and we accept it when we have faith, when we trust in him. And when we get into chapter 6 now, it's where Paul gets closer to explaining why we can trust him. But let's remember this as we, as we read this chapter. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, as we trust in him and accept the gift. Chapter 6, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we were under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land, as this painting on the, on the right, uh, uh, I guess, uh, pictures. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Now, to be clear, baptism itself, being dunked in a pool or sprinkled as a baby or whatever you associate with baptism, is not, baptism is not the magical act by which God washes away your sin and gives you eternal life. What it is, is symbolic of what's happening when we receive this gift of grace. What Paul's trying to do here is explain the importance of resurrection, which baptism symbolizes. Each of us, Paul says, is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. It's like before resurrection in our lives, life was a bit like that on the Friday but afterwards, it's more like this. The light is beginning to shine and we can see where we're going and where God is leading us. A new grace sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. And what we believe is this. And here, here's the most important verse in the whole thing for me. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. Let me say that again. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. This, my friends, is why the resurrection is so important. Because if we're included in it, it has a direct implication, a personal, practical implication for us in our lives. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Let me explain it this way. And uh, this is the way that Nikki Gumbel does it in the Alpha course, which you'll see advertised on the back of your chair. I'll talk about that later. 
this book, let's just say this book represents Jesus. Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again to new life, a new body, a new creation to live in eternity with God as God ruling together in the Trinity. Let's say this card represents you and me, a person. What Paul says over and over in his letters, uh, in, in, in many of the letters he writes to Christians in the first century, is he says that when we trust in Jesus, when we place our lives in his hands, as we receive the gift, but then the gift back to God is our lives entrusted to him. What Paul says is that that's like being in Christ. And he says over and over again, in Christ, in Christ. When we trust our lives to Jesus, we are included, hidden in Christ. So imagine you and I in Jesus. What does that then mean? Well, it means that when he died, if we are in Christ, when Jesus died, we, our old life, our sin life, died with him. But then what? When he rose we too rise with him, a new creation in Christ, a new person, a new man or woman, with a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit, and given God's spirit to live this new life. That is what it means to be included in Jesus' death, death to the old life, and resurrection, new life in Christ, that we are in Jesus. We died with him, we rise with him. And that's why the resurrection has a deeply personal and practical impact on us. Let me give you five or six ways that I see that this changes our lives. If he lives, what does it mean? Because he lives, as the song says, I can face tomorrow. Whenever, whatever life throws at me, I, one day I, I can have a hope now that I'm going to receive a, a, a new body in a new creation that's void of all of this stuff, all this pain and sickness and sorrow that this world is full of. And so that means that whatever I'm facing tomorrow, however challenging it might be, I can face it because I can see past tomorrow. And I can see that it, it, it's getting better than tomorrow. <laughs> And so because he lives, and because I've been included in that, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, again, as the song says, fear of death is gone. Because death's nothing more now than a transition into paradise, into heaven, into eternity with God. If I'm hidden in Christ, so my death will lead to the same thing that his death led to, resurrection, a new creation in eternity with God. And the Bible teaches not of going to heaven as a floating spirit, but of heaven coming to earth, heaven and earth together, the new creation where we will live with God, having been raised forever. But more than just a future impact and a future hope, because he lives, I'm alive in a whole new way. The guy who wrote the letter that we were just reading, the letter to the Romans, um, the Apostle Paul, before he met and trusted his life to Jesus, he was alive. He clearly wasn't a zombie or something. He was alive. And after he met and entrusted his life to Jesus, he was alive. But the difference between that life and that life was 180 degrees. Beforehand, this guy, his name, even his name changed. His name was Saul. 
His focus was on rule-keeping and retribution and condemnation and even persecution and murder of those who followed Jesus. His life was filled with hate and with bitterness. And then he met Jesus and things completely turned around to the point where he was so transformed by by his trusting his life with Jesus and meeting Jesus that his life became an offering of love that literally impacted the world. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which has shaped the lives of, of, of Christians for, for um, millennia now. My story is a little more gradual than that. I didn't meet the risen Jesus on a road and, and then all of a sudden 180 degrees over, almost overnight. Sometimes I only just feel like I'm beginning to grasp this reality and the difference it makes. Uh, If I'm in Christ, I'm a totally new creation. I don't have to live the old way, seeking fulfillment in old things. I'm a new creation. I have a new life. And I tell you, I'm, I'm still discovering the brilliance and the wonder of that every single day. Because he lives, though, I also have help for today. Not just hope for tomorrow, not just a new kind of life, but help. Because Jesus rose, the Bible teaches, he was able to then send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. If you are like, well, what's, what's the Holy Spirit all about? Um, don't worry too much for now. I'm still working that out. Um, but I'm discovering this incredible reality that the third person of the community called God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, as he's called, has been sent to this world... He is now God alive among us, and this one that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And and he's called a few names. One of them is the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the the paraclete, which means the one who walks alongside us. He, he, He walks with me, and he guides me, and honestly, now after following Jesus for about 15, 16 years, I honestly don't know how I would live without this helper, this Holy Spirit, this comforter and guide and counselor in my life, because I have this help for today, which I can find nowhere else. Because he lives, I also can have power over sin. Now, this one's where it gets a bit, uh, some people are like, oh, I'm not so sure about that, because many Christians believe God dealt with their sin in the long term. But in the meantime, oh, look, we're just still sinful human beings. And I mean, really, the only hope is when we get to heaven, then things will change. But I'm discovering, and, and I know many of you have been discovering, that when we truly worship God, and really trust our lives into his hands, the power of sin in my life starts to slowly dissipate. Now you might say, well, sin's fun, but actually we do want this power over the sin in our, uh, power over the sin in our lives. Because as one person said, sin is like a big sneeze. It feels great coming out, and then there's snot everywhere. I say that because it'll stick in your mind. We know, really, we know it makes a mess of our lives. But Jesus' resurrection means that mess can start to be cleaned up now, not overnight. It has long-term effects often. But in this life, we can start to see that mess cleaned up and the power of sin in our life defeated. But for me, 
All of that's wonderful and great news, but here's where the importance of Jesus' resurrection really lies for me right now. Because he lives, I'm adopted into God's family. There's not a person in this room with a perfect human mother or father. Even if they were, were great, even if your parents were wonderful, they may have passed. They may be separated from you at present because of COVID or other circumstances. But even if that's not the case, even if you've got a great uh, close relationship with them right now, as a son or daughter, what you need and what I need is greater than what your parents can ever give. What a wife or a husband or a close friend or a fiancé or a boyfriend or girlfriend can, can ever give. What we need is greater than what they can give. What you and I need is what Jesus had. An unhindered relationship with Father God. Perfect Father God. It changes everything in our lives. How you see yourself most importantly, but also how you see others, how you parent your kids, how you treat your parents, the comfort you have when there's no one else who understands, but you have a heavenly Father who understands and who loves unconditionally. And finally, because He lives, my life is not my own. The most freeing thing about this new life in Christ is that I don't have to be in charge anymore. Now that my life is not my own, I don't have to impress. I don't have to succeed. I don't have to fulfill things put on me. Love isn't conditional anymore. And so I don't have to try and make something of my life and be accepted and all of that because I already am loved and accepted because my life is in His hands. My life's in the Father's hands now. My life is not my own, unless I want it to be. See, remember what Paul said about all this. Those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. There is no requirement to accept the gift. It's a choice. But if I am grasping the gift of God's grace with my hands, and that's what I'm holding on to, by default, I'm surrendering something else in my grasp control of my own life. My life isn't my own anymore. Because as Paul writes elsewhere, my life was bought with a price. That price paid by God was the death of his son Jesus, as we remembered on Friday. Grace isn't cheap. It's costly, but it is free to us. The struggle for me for so long was, was this. That is too simple. This offer of, of, a, of a gift of eternal life and forgiveness poured into to my life just as a gift, that's too, that's too simple. I mean, surely I've got to do something. Surely I've got to work hard in some way to be able to earn this gift and, and get this gift. But of course, it's, it's kind of obvious why that can't happen because if we earn God's grace, if we claim part of the credit, some of it's us and our doing and some of it's Him, it's now not grace at all. The word for grace and gift is the same thing. And, and, if, and if we earn it, sin and pride still lives in us. And now we're back to the start. Only through an undeserved gift can we receive eternal and abundant life with God. And so as we sing these songs this morning, if Music 10 can come up, we're just singing to Jesus prayers that say, God, I turn to you. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you've, you've, you're like, yes, 
Thank you for the reminder of everything I believe, Luke. And if that's, if that's where you are, then fantastic. Uh, but maybe you've walked in here this morning or maybe you're watching online as you're making a cup of coffee and going, I don't know that I've heard this before. This seems so different to any promise that I've ever heard. So different to any, any kind of gift that I've, I've ever heard about. And yet, strangely, it's warming my heart and feeling like it's the truth. It's because it is. And billions of people testify that this is the truth. That because Jesus is alive, we can rise with him. And so I just want to pray this morning that we would receive this gift of his grace and his forgiveness, new life in him. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the sacrifice Jesus made, but that that wasn't the end of the story. That because you are alive, Jesus, we too can be alive in you. And as we grasp this gift with both hands this morning, Lord, we pray that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit, your presence, your very self in our lives, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now living in us. We offer our sin before you at the foot of the cross this morning, Jesus. We lay our lives down before you and say, forgive us, God. Cleanse us from iniquity, from all of our sin. And we say, thank you for giving me new life. Thank you for raising me to life and that one day I will live with you in eternity. And please, God, fill me with your spirit. Thank you that it's as easy as sorry and thank you and please that we would give our lives to you and that we would be saved by grace through faith.